Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to join you here. And uh, at, at this point in the service, usually our practice at this point is to open up the Bible, isn't it? Uh, and uh, this year we've been working our way through lots of different books, uh, different topics. Uh, we, for example, uh, we listened to the, the love letter of Ephesians. Uh, we were challenged to sit with uh, Job and his friends as we went deep into to suffering. Um, perhaps we're using some of those lessons even now. Uh, during lockdown. Uh, and we've been walking uh, with Jesus, right? Following his footsteps uh, through Matthew's eyewitness account. But have you ever wondered why? Uh, why do Christians do this each Sunday? Why, why is the central part of, of gathering together each week um, to hear from the Bible? Why couldn't we just, you know, sing more um, with Rachel or just chat more, you know, uh, just get on the Zoom chat and just keep chatting? You know, actually, actually, when we, we sing, why do we sing words that come from the Bible? And when we chat, why are we, as Christians, why are we talking about the Bible? And so this is the first topic in our new series, all right? Uh, in this series, we're going to go deep into life's questions. And, and today, I'd like to invite us to consider the first question um, that often we have. How can we believe the Bible is true? Um, and if you're joining us uh, right now uh, and you're not a Christian, or perhaps you're not sure where you sit with God, um, and this may, might even sound a bit perplexing to you. For you, maybe perhaps the Bible just seems like, I don't know, just an old book. It's got lots of, lots of words in it. Maybe it's full of fanciful fairy tales. Maybe the times when you hear a Bible, unfortunately, are when... Um, uh, so-called Christians throw them at you, maybe to end a conversation rather than to, to start one. Um, I hope you'll see, though, uh, that there's more to it than that. And for those of us who are Christians, right, PCBC English, there is a kind of Christianity out there that says, here are the answers. Now go and fight them out there. But I want to encourage us not to take that route. Friends, we go deeper into life's questions, not so we can just win arguments uh, with our friends. We go deeper because we have questions, because our friends and family have questions, and because God and his wisdom and love has something to say to our questions, whether it's about the Bible, whether it's about science and faith or, or our sexuality, or about even life issues today, about COVID, about other things in this world. We go deeper because we want to hear from God. How we do it matters. One of the earliest Christians, um, a guy named Peter, I think outlines the perfect and a wise approach to take. He says this, right? First Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So, friends, we want to be prepared. And we want to come across with gentleness and respect. And we do this because Jesus, if he's Lord of our hearts, then both matter. I want you to imagine now um, a friend of yours calls you up. You haven't seen them since lockdown. Long time no see, right? Um, where have you been? And then imagine your friend says, oh, I've been living on an island uh, where dinosaurs are still alive. On this island, they've built cities and they've invented their own footprint alphabet. They even live alongside humans uh, like me. In fact, I was there because I was washed ashore from a shipwreck. 
Let me tell you about it. Let me, let me show you this world. Uh, this is the world of a place called Dinotopia, okay, uh, written by an author. And if you're like my kids who love this book and during lockdown been devouring it, uh, this is a familiar and exciting world. Uh, whether your world that you've been immersed in, you know, is in with dinosaurs or with uh, other fantastic creatures and people and places, there's a part of you that knows that those worlds aren't real, right? As, as rich and beautiful as, as Dinotopia is, our, our kids know it's not real. Uh, even when flights resume, there's no way we could book a, a ticket to get to this island. And while some people think we should view uh, the Bible, right, the same way we should view Dinotopia or Pokemon or Jurassic Park as a beautiful fairy tale. I mean, after all, this is what the Bible actually says when you, when you consider it, right? The world of the Bible that says God made the entire universe. It says that he sends his son, Jesus, into our world. This Jesus performs miracles. By the way, he's 100% God, 100% human at the same time. Uh, he dies on a cross, claims to have risen from the dead. If you believe all this, he'll take away all your sins and forgive you. And right now he lives in all his followers by God's spirit. One day he'll come back to set up a kingdom on earth and be judge and king. These are incredible claims, aren't they, that come from this incredible book. I wonder if you can sympathize um, with how it's easy for, for, for our friends and family, for, or maybe for you even, to be skeptical of this book. I mean, what makes the story of Christianity any different to the cleverly written plots of maybe Squid Game or of Howl's Moving Castle? How can we believe the Bible is true? Uh, we're not going to answer all the questions, obviously, uh, today, but we want to try and answer some. I want to at least suggest three things that are worth considering when we approach this question. Uh, how can we believe the Bible is true? Let me suggest three things to consider. First, uh, let's consider what the Bible says about Jesus. And what the Bible says about Jesus is that at the heart of the Bible is a real, historically verifiable person. Because it's actually a brave person, whether religious or not religious, who actually would deny that Jesus ever existed. All serious historians agree that he did exist. He did walk on this earth. Because there's actually plenty of evidence, uh, not just inside the Bible, but outside the Bible in other writings about Jesus and his world. Uh, for example, I want you to listen to uh, Flavius Josephus, okay, who was not a Christian. And this is what he says. And he wrote this in the first century, and he said, about this time, they lived Jesus, a wise man. He was one who performed surprising deeds. He was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. And when upon the accusation of the principal men among us, he's writing, see, from the point of view of someone who doesn't believe Jesus, Pilate had him condemned to a cross. And those who had first come to love him did not cease, and the tribe of the Christians so called after him has still to this day not disappeared. And Jesus was a real person in a real space and time. In Israel, you can still see the western wall of the temple in Jerusalem that Jesus would have walked past. If you head to the town of Capernaum today, uh, you can still find the remains of the ancient synagogue where, where Jesus taught. Uh, a few streets down under the remains of a church building actually are the remains of what Archaeology is just believed to be Simon Peter's house, right, where Jesus lived. Some of us heard about this back in uh, Matthew chapter 8. 
You see, unlike Dinotopia, even historians who don't believe in God believe what the Bible claims, that, that Jesus was a real person who lived and died in a real time and place. Okay, all right. So, but how can we know they weren't just made up stories on a base of truth? Maybe that's something you're asking. Weren't these eyewitness accounts, maybe were they written too late, too long after Jesus' life to be trusted? Well, let me share with you that actually four of the most important books in the Bible, uh, they're called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these were eyewitness accounts, uh, right? These were written down uh, from the point of view of people who walked and talked, ate and drank of Jesus. And most experts believe that Mark's Gospel, is the shortest one, was written about 35 to, to 45 years after Jesus' death. And so the question is, is that, isn't that too long ago, though, right? 35 years, 45 years on. Well, let me ask you this question. Did Steve Jobs start the Apple company? Was I really born on a Tuesday? That's the kind of time difference that we're talking about, 35 to 45 years. And if you and I weren't there, well, at least we know people who could tell us. Um, a guy called Dr. Richard Borkham, he's a New Testament scholar. He points out that time and time again, what the gospel writers actually do is they mention names of people that they talk to. Uh, and on the screen, you see an example. This is in Mark's gospel, right? And it seems like a small detail at first. Certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Now, some of you uni students uh, and, and high school students, you're knee-deep in assignments and essays to, to hand in. And you and I know the worst thing you have yet to do is tidy up your footnotes and references, all right? And if you're lucky, you can just do it all in the last minute and your, your, your teacher won't read them when they mark them. Well, what Mark is leaving here in his gospel account are footnotes. You see, if you were a first century Jewish person reading Mark's gospel, to see the names Alexander and Rufus was basically an invitation to, to go ask them. You see, don't believe me? Go ask Alexander, go ask Rufus. And so in a similar way, when Paul says, right, Christ died for our sins in 1 Corinthians 15, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. And then later on, he says, after that, he appeared to, to more than 500 other brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. What is Paul doing here? But inviting us to go ask them. That's how these earlier scriptures worked. And so if we were a detective trying to build a case, there'd be enough circumstantial evidence to show that the Bible is true about what it claims and, and you could ask people about it. Because at the heart of the Bible is a real historically verifiable person, Jesus. And I want to submit that what we have in front of us when we read our Bibles is a trustworthy account of him. But friends, it's more than just what the Bible says about Jesus, right? Uh, I think we need to also consider what the Bible says about itself. You see, at the core of the Bible is, is a divine author who, who speaks one unified story from his own heart. I'll say that again. At the core of the Bible, it, it claims to be a collection of words from a divine author who speaks one consistent story from his own heart. Uh, Meet the Talking God begins one of my favorite books uh, about the Christian life. It's a, by a guy called Gary Miller. And in it, he explains that right from the beginning of the Bible, I wonder if you notice that right at the beginning of the Bible, God speaks, right? He says, let there be light. He says, let the earth bring forth living creatures. 
And it does. And so no surprise that when people would write songs about, um, about who God is and what he's like, for example, Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth, for he spoke and it came to be. In the world of the Bible, when, when God speaks, it is powerful, it is creative. And sometimes he speaks directly, right? Sometimes we, we, we see in the Bible account, he speaks directly to people. And sometimes he speaks through prophets. And sometimes, most importantly for our question, some of these words from God have been written down and preserved in this book, the Bible. Uh, whether it's engraved directly, right, for someone like Moses in Exodus 31, uh, whether Moses writes these words down himself and it's preserved as God's law, whether it's Joshua writing after Moses, whether it's Jeremiah, some of the other prophets, whether it ends up being Jesus' disciples writing an accurate account of who God is and what he's done through Jesus. These are God's words. Um, Peter, again, I think says it best. In 2 Peter 1, 21, he says this, no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. But prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I want you to, for a moment, imagine though how incredible this is. The God of the universe wants to speak with you now, here, today. And through this word, God has not revealed himself indirectly, but directly, not just for a little while, but in a permanent way. And because our Bibles have been translated faithfully, they've brought it out from the Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek into, into English, right? Into languages that we speak today. We have the privilege of hearing God speak just as clearly as he did thousands of years ago. But friends, it's not just that the Bible can be tested and tried. The Bible can also be tasted and tried. Let me tell you what I mean. Let me read to you what one of the Psalms says. Psalm 19 says this about God's word itself. And if you listen with me, it says from verse 7 of Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold. They're much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. This is God's word. You see, early in this song, the, the writer admires the heavens and skies and how they point to, to God's glory. But here he says, the law, the statutes, his written words are even better. What we have here is sweeter than honey, more precious than gold. So, so if you ever have a different impression of the Bible, then you've not understood the Bible as the Bible claims you should. But look, you might be objecting. Surely this is a little bit circular, right? You're trying to tell me at this point that we should believe the Bible is true because it says that it's true and it's from God. What if I'm not sure there's a God, you might ask? Uh, what about the miracles in the Bible or, or impossibilities? How can fire from, fall from the sky or how can a dead man come alive again? Can I ask you, though, how did you arrive at those conclusions? 
How certain are you that everything in this world is always visible and explainable only by natural cause and effect? If there is an all-powerful author of this universe, can we really put limits on what he can and can't do? So friends, I want to invite you for a moment to, to try and park that, that secular view of the world aside and actually to consider tasting the Bible for yourself, like some of us have. I mean, you could start with one of the Gospels or, or go cover to cover. However you do it, don't just test the Bible, I think. Taste it. Uh, when I was first exploring Christianity as a 16-year-old, as a right, a friend said that I should check out the book of Esther, so I did. Some of you actually know that this is what the one book of the Bible where it doesn't even mention God's name at all. Uh, and yet as I read it, what became clear was that here in this story even was a God preserving a people for himself, right? So to work out uh, even in the smallest details of real people's lives, something, a plan, giving courage, saving a people for himself. And I wanted more. And so I kept on on reading. And what keeps me and, and millions of others around the world reading and, and listening and keeping these words is that we can see, right, God's hand over it. We see a, a unified story of promises given and then promises kept in Jesus. His love and compassion flowing out through the work of Christ. We see the clearest picture of, of God's own heart for his people through the most remarkable person who, as one person said, seemed to just walk off the pages into my life. So if you're here and you have longed for God to show himself, only the Christian God claims that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Only the Christian faith teaches of a grace and truth that we can see, observe, and taste through the person of Jesus Christ, starting a movement that is more global than COVID, more transformational, transformational than the internet. And all this is possible because God speaks. And so if you want to know how we can believe the Bible is true, yes, check out what it says about Jesus. See that it stacks up, but also consider what it says about itself. And before we pause, right, and, and take some questions, I want to also just briefly share what others have said about the Bible. I think it's always worthwhile, right, to consider what others say about the Bible. Because sometimes you might feel a little bit, a little bit stupid, you know. Why is it that all, the, all those people out there are enjoying the rest of their Sunday while we sit here listening to the Bible? I want to twist it around, though. Rebecca McLaughlin, uh, an author, challenges us. Believing the Bible is not just for stupid people. Some of the smartest people in the world believe the Bible. Uh, they include professors of science and history, philosophy and theology. In fact, like the first disciples who shared the message of Jesus, these people would stake their lives on it. And let me share with you two examples. Uh, this is Rosaria. Now, Rosaria described herself as a, as a leftist lesbian professor. Uh, she was tenured at Syracuse University in New York. He, she wanted to research the religious rights. Okay? She wanted to point out how bigoted and mean Christians were. And yet when a Christian couple reached out with kindness and hospitality, she just started to read the Bible. Uh, at first she said, I'm going to read it for my research, right? And so she said, I read the way a glutton devours. I read it many times that first year in multiple translations. And for years, she said, I continued reading the Bible, 
all the while fighting the idea that I was inspired. But the Bible got to be bigger inside me than I. It overflowed into my world. I fought against it with all my might. Then one Sunday morning, I rose from the bed of my lover and an hour later sat in the pew at the Reformed Presbyterian Church. Another person who testifies that the, that the power of the Bible is a guy called Andrew, right? Andrew van der Beel. After returning from war as an injured soldier, uh, Andrew was a mess. Uh, he was part of a Dutch regiment trying to, to, to fight in Southeast Asia. He committed war crimes. He murdered women and children. And eventually he turned to drinking alcohol to numb the horrors of his experience. After leaving the army, he felt speechless, uh, purposeless. Who am I? Why am I here on this earth? So he began to, to read his mother's Bible. He began to attend church and, and Bible studies to, to start to look for answers that he'd been searching for. I share all these testimonies because, let's be honest, even if you and I acknowledge, right, in our heads that the Bible is true, often what's not always, that's not always what we struggle with, right, whether the Bible is true or not. Often it's not just atheism that we struggle with, but it's actually apathyism, right? Because so what if Jesus was real? So what if the Bible's plausible? I've got different questions. I've got questions about who I can date and marry, how to get through this life and so on. But remember, many, many people, thousands of people have tasted the Bible and have seen that they bring answers to life's questions. So do consider what others have discovered through the Bible, that it was precisely by reading it, tasting it, that it became possible to see the whole world for what it truly was. And in fact, to, to live with meaning, satisfaction, freedom, identity, justice, and hope. Because at the heart of the Bible is a person, Jesus, and knowing him gives you all those things. And so that's what we'll do. What we'll get to do in the next few weeks is to see how from the Bible we get answers to many of our life's questions and more. Because how could we not? If the Bible is sweeter than honey, if it's more precious than gold, if it's trustworthy about Jesus and about itself, what else could it show us? When the Bible says, remember Jesus Christ, offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, how will we respond? When Jesus says, follow me, what will you do? And will you be bold enough to find out? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that your word brings light to the eyes, that it is more delightful than, than the foods we've been eating this week, that it is more precious than all the things we own in our houses right now. Father, help us to see this reality as we dive deeper into your word. We thank you for the many people who have sacrificed so much to bring this word into our language today. And we hope that as you speak to us through it, that you will answer some of our life's deep questions. But more importantly, that you will show us the word who became flesh, Jesus, who lived and dwelt among us, who died on the cross for our sins. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
now we're going to move in our um, Q&A time. Um, if you guys have got more questions, post it on um, the Zoom chat or the Jamboard. We have got a few, but if we can't answer all of them, I'm sure we can um, find a way to um, answer them later or maybe even next time. Um, so, yeah, don't think that, oh, there's heaps of questions already. <laughs> don't post them. Don't, don't think, yeah, that is okay. So, um, cool might get cracking on with some because there's quite a few and hopefully i won't get too confused as well okay I'll, so i'll um, give all the hard ones to uh adopt to ellen give all the hard ones to will <laughs> <laughs> um so maybe i'll just say the question and you guys might decide um who, who's better to answer because i think they're all kind of non non-specific um I'm just going to start off with maybe just the, the um, more basic kind of formation of how the Bible came together. So a little bit about, um, yeah, what Ellen was answering initially. Um, so someone asked, how was it decided which books, um, and especially in the New Testament, made the cut for the Bible we have today? So I guess that's also, um, you know, what about other books that might not be in the New Testament or like are there new books that might be added to the Bible? Um, yeah, how 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 was that decided? Yeah, that's a good question that, um, you know, does come up uh, from time to time. I think the, you know, what Will was saying before that the Bible centers around who Jesus is and the him as a real historical person, that, that's really the the heart of the Bible, of course. And, and so that's the same um, uh, with the, the books of the New Testament. Most of them are related to people who were um, what, you know, what the New Testament calls apostles. That is uh, people who were lived with Jesus, um, you know, spent time with him throughout his, you know, uh, ministry on earth um, and saw him rise from the dead and, uh, and then told everyone about, about him and his resurrection, even despite being persecuted some of them and being put to death they they uh, were convicted about the reality of Jesus's resurrection so then in terms of uh, which books were included in this New Testament uh, one of the big questions was was this person an apostle one of those people that lived with Jesus and saw him and and told about what he did um, or if they weren't an apostle, were they a close associate of an apostle, someone who, you know, who spent a lot of time uh, with an apostle or was associated with one? With one. So our Gospels, Matthew and John, were both apostles, both spent their lives with Jesus, were, you know, saw everything. And so uh, part of the process then of including their writings was because of that reason, because they were with Jesus and, and saw him. Um, Others then, Luke and and uh, Mark, for example, uh, weren't one of the 12, the 12 sort of apostles, uh, but they were closely associated with, with the apostles. And so the early church writings, not in the New Testament, but some of the early church writings, talks about Mark's close relationship with Peter, an apostle, and that uh, Mark was in Rome and, and uh, put his gospel together on the basis of Peter's preaching about who Jesus was. So that's the that's the gist of it, I guess. And and Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, um, was not one of the 12, but he also saw the risen Lord Jesus and was um, commissioned by him. And so that, that's where he gets his, I guess, authority from. Not, not because he said, hey, everybody listen to me because I'm telling you to, 
um, but because they were, he was associated with Jesus and and commissioned personally by Jesus. So, so then you know a bunch of other ones, I guess, um, that came along later don't have that connection. They they were not written by one of the apostles, or they were clearly it was clearly not talking about Jesus, or didn't didn't what um, wasn't coherent with the with the gospel message about Jesus that those who knew him best um, proclaimed. So anyway, is that uh, hopefully that's enough of a answer about that? Yeah, that's that's a that's a great answer, and I hope that um, answers the other question about um, how do we know that there aren't any new books added to the Bible. I think you probably alluded to quite a yeah. lot of that as well. So thank you. Good. Um, and then it looks like there's quite a few questions about um, how how to read the Bible. Um, so I personally were quite interested in this question. Are we so are we supposed to read? every part of the Bible literally. So, you know, there's rules about, you know, women's hair to be like covered and things like that. So, um, yeah, is that something we should be following? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think uh, what, there's one author, uh, Christy Anibwile, he, she put it, we should read it literarily, okay, because um, uh, so we want to actually read the Bible because there's 66 books in here, right? They actually come and actually, we want to actually recognize that there's, when there's states facts, we want to recognize the facts at face value. When it uses metaphor, we actually want to recognize and respect that they're using metaphor, right? Uh, John 15, five says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Okay. How do we respond to that? And it depends on how we read the Bible, right? If we, we don't read that literally do we we actually read it literarily we go ah this is a metaphor of how we're to to remain in him right and so actually that's why um you know especially when i preach and when others and i'm sure when alan teaches uh, we want to recognize the the genre of each book of the bible right and in our bibles there's historical narrative okay there's going to be stuff where it's trying to tell what the history of god's people what actually happened in the bible there's poetry okay and when you read poetry we actually want to read it a slightly different way uh, there's legal text, uh, there's parables that Jesus tells, you know, uh, there's prophecies, okay, using very figurative language to try and make a point to cut uh, God's people to the heart. Uh, and then there's even this, um, so the book of Revelation is the prime example where you're writing about real things in, in symbolic ways, okay, to, to, to make a point uh, to God's people. There's actually, uh, um, I think last year we, we talked about the book of Jonah and how there's actually a lot of satire woven through that Bible. So how we read it uh, matters. So I always encourage people, um, read it literarily, not just literally. Um, so uh, I think on the on facts like um, the, the resurrection of Jesus, um, I think it's clear when, when the gospel writers write, they're, they're meant to be taken at face value. This is something that eyewitnesses saw. This is something that actually makes a difference to to who God is and what he's done through Jesus. Yeah. So that, that, that would be my thoughts. I don't know if Alan, if you want to add anything. Um, no, that's, that's, that's really, that's great. That's a nice answer. And I, I think uh, a lot of it comes down to seeking to um, understand what the authors are saying. And so reading it in the context of what they're saying. So that helps us to look for clues, even in the immediate setting of what's, of what's being said. Is this a, is this a metaphor? Is it, you know, um, you know that, you know, rather than just. So it depends what we mean by literal, I guess. So we don't, there's, as William exactly pointed out there, literarily meaning uh, not not just reading it at at face value, but being careful, thoughtful about what it's saying and reading it in the context of what the author is trying to emphasize. Hmm. Um, 
so I might just tag this question on. I think you've answered a lot of it, but maybe in a more practical way. Um, someone asked, can we believe the Bible in a rational way without depending on our emotions? I think that probably leads to how we interpret the Bible and, and yeah, how, how we can interpret it in a, in a logical way as it's meant to be instead of our emotions. So, yeah, maybe a more, more practical way, how, how can we do this? Will, do you want to start that one? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think all of us have different personalities, right? So some of us come to the Bible and we, we just want to know, you know, can I prove everything that's in here? But I think that the reason why I centered, you know, my talk on Psalm 19 is that actually what the Bible says about itself, one of the key things that you, you need to actually feel it and, and respond to it. Um, there's actually, I think one of, you know, one of the saddest things, and I think a lot of people who remain unconvinced of the Bible is they come to it. Okay. As something that they want to pull apart. They want to scientifically analyze. And on the one hand, yes, the Bible stands up to scrutiny. There's, there's evidence in archeology span and in, in the sciences that what the Bible claims, uh, to, you know, uh, about itself or about the world, um, uh, doesn't contradict with, you know, the sciences and so on. But that's not the purpose, the ultimate purpose of the Bible. The Bible is God's revelation to us. It's saying God trying to tell us who he is and what he's done through Jesus. And so that demands a response. And so that actually means we need to engage not just our heads, but our hearts, okay, uh, with the Bible. Yeah. And so that would be my encouragement. Uh, don't just test it, right? Um, try and taste it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking I was, I was trying to understand the question i guess uh, and will answer it exactly right i think um uh and just it depends i guess on what the person means by without depending on our emotions i suppose um you could read something and, and find that that is objectionable to you emotionally it feels like that can't be right so how do you read the bible without depending on on that initial sense of unease or something like that I, and, and so i guess part of it is um again coming back to what we were talking about before interpreting it in the context and seeing how it fits into the big picture and seeking to understand you know where it where it fits in relation to everything else so ultimately um we build up a picture of who god is and his goodness and his um comprehensive knowledge of things and, uh, and we also grow in some ways, if this is the right way to say it, in our humility and our, in our recognition that there's more that we don't, that we don't know that we didn't realize. Uh, and, uh, and, and God is our creator and he knows what's best. And so that helps us as well to come to grips with um, he's a wise and good and loving God. And, and as he's our creator, he knows what what's best for us. I don't know if that, I th I'm not sure. So it sort of depends, I guess, on part of what the question is getting at there. Cool. Um, so the next question, which might lead to, um, so someone has written, um, so why is the Bible uh, intentionally unconvincing? God could have included reference to DNA, electricity, atoms, or any verifiable scientific concept, which would make the Bible irrefutable but he chose not to. So maybe a little bit relevant to next week as well, but um, yeah, relevant to today as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a really, yeah, thank you for asking that question. And uh, again, we will dive into science and faith next week so we can address that in more detail. Um, 
just reading, you know, without knowing you, whoever wrote that, um, you know, I'd say it differently if we were just having a coffee. Um, when someone tells me that the Bible is unintentionally unint- unconvincing, um, to me, that does seem to say that you've made some judgments about it already, um, which is fine. Um, I think the question to ask is what do you need? You know, what kind of irrefutable proof do you need to, to take the Bible seriously, right? The Bible was written 2,000 years ago. Um, it was written in a time and place where God deliberately chose a time when uh, we wouldn't have, you know, a social media to be able to spread it in the same way. At the same time, um, God used it in a time and place where um, it was verifiable or not. I think that's one of the things that I tried to share as on the sermon, right? It wasn't as if, you know, you know, the Bible just dropped out of thin air, right? Okay. Um, like Joseph Smith and, and his golden plates that started Mormonism. No one could verify that what he wrote was true. It was just him and an angel. Uh, here, I think we have some verifiability, okay? It is definitely something that did not come out of thin air. Yeah. The Bible has come to us in a real place about a real person in a real space and time history. So um, yes, could uh, if it had come today, would it have been much easier? You know, we wouldn't have to chase down old manuscripts and try and copy them. We wouldn't have to, you know, we could just, you know, scan it and send it around the world. Sure. Um, but in God's wisdom, you know, he, he revealed it in a way that I think gives us, um, yeah, uh, gives us great confidence that this is God's word and what he says about it is reliable about Jesus. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Yeah, and and um, I mean, it, yeah, it's a, it's a great question, isn't it? It comes down to as well uh, as what you were saying is the intention of the Bible as well. So uh, it's not the, it's not a like a textbook um, designed to um, list a whole bunch of proofs as to um, here's how it relates to these sort of scientific issues. Um, it it's designed. It, it was written, you know, as William said, in the context of. Um, history and for people about their lives and how they are to you know live in this in this world and uh, what what it means to know God and you know who Jesus is it, it's sort of designed around those sorts of those sorts of questions assuming of course the existence of God so it's not there to you know sort of prove uh, everything that it talks about it's it's assuming that God is real because it's being written for people who are seeking to live um, for him but having said that, as William said, because of that, because of that, because it's in the middle of history, it's got all these uh, unintentional ways of being checked, <laughs> even though it wasn't designed um, to do that. And so, in some ways, that counts in its favour. It, it wasn't written as a sort of a um, an argument to prove its truthfulness, but at the same time, even though it wasn't written in that way, it it can be <laughs> checked in all these other ways um, as well. And Someone's talked about in the Gospels uh, little things called undesigned coincidences. So uh, information in one Gospel that only makes sense because of a passing comment in another Gospel <laughs> about uh, someone who lived at, at a certain time or was a member of Herod's household, that kind of thing. We can go into details, but just those are what people call undesigned coincidences, which uh, there, it's not it's not sort of putting them all together in one place as a, as a set of um, sort of knockdown arguments, but they're there just because it's it, it, it's talking about real people in in history. Um, anyway, so that I, that's part of my my approach to it as well. It's just what it's designed to do, and yet it still can be checked, even though um, that's what it is. Great, thank you. 
great answer. Um, I hope some of that also answers um, the question that's written on the blue post-it note, but if it doesn't, um, feel free to, you know, type a, bit, a little bit more about the question or the context um, that you're asking that in. Um, two more questions I want to ask, and might be a little bit over time, sorry. Um, so one of them can combine two. So, um, so why does the Bible not have clear answer to controversial topics? Um, but on the other hand, people can quote the Bible to support their opposing view. So I guess that's kind of like reading the Bible with an intention to answer a question. Um, and I wonder if you could maybe touch a little bit on, you know, how we get an answer from God or from God's will through the Bible. So. Yep. Um, yeah. And obviously right now the vaccine debate is live. You know, uh, do, do we go to the Bible and say we should listen to the government or do we go to the Bible and say we should gather and then people fight about it and, and have free, you know, is it freedom or is it obeying authorities? Um yeah, uh, we'll, we'll talk more on that um, a couple of weeks when we talk about living in harmony, um, because I think this is a hot topic, for, and especially we, we need to address this well as Christians, right? And we haven't always done it in the past. I think the, you know, the Bible, remember, the main message of the Bible is who God is and what he's done in Christ, right? So this is, you know, on that topic, it is uncontroversial. It is true, you know, and it is just primary on what it talks about. And the Bible does talk about a lot of other things, right? And I think um, some people call that secondary uh, issues or topics. And on these things, um, on these things, right, the Bible doesn't claim to give you slam dunk answers on every single issue in life, you know, and stuff. Um, but the Bible does claim when we talk about the Bible being clear, right, it is clear about God's plan for salvation, right, for, for his people. It's clear about God's redemption plan. Yeah. So just because the Bible, you know, doesn't have a clear answer to, um, uh, you know what a particular bioethical question today doesn't mean we also can't grab principles of how do we love our god and love our neighbor how do we um how do we worship god like there are lots of other principles that relate and we can guide into answering some of those questions yeah but the bible's primary aim and we, we don't want to you know try and over promise what the bible is meant to do is to reveal to us who god is and what he's done for us uh and jesus yeah, I don't know if you want to add more to that, Alan. Yeah, and and um, it, some of it depends on the issue, and as William was saying as well, there are we we can have a we can have a uh, like a, a variety of of responses depending on the topic. It, it, what, what I mean by that is, let me clarify. What I mean by that is, we can have a different levels of confidence about what the Bible is saying about a particular topic. So we can say. Obviously, as William said, it's clear in its message about how we know God through Jesus. But then it talks about other things, uh, some of which are um, come up more often in the Bible than others. And so, uh, so it's not um, either we know everything about a topic or we know nothing about a topic. It, it can be that we can gather a, a bit more of confidence about what the Bible says about um, some things. And then other things we we have to derive sort of principles and different levels of of convictions about those things. And so um, working out those sorts of things are where Christians sometimes disagree, aren't they? You know, there are uh, where they come to a conviction on some things that are different to other Christians. Uh, but often, as we said, as William said, I think that's sort of secondary, we might say, or um, the Bible speaks less often about some things. And so we we have a uh, a lower degree of certainty about, um, you know, some particular topics and a greater degree of certainty about other topics. I don't know if that, I'm talking in general terms, but that, you know, that sort of idea of um, it, 
that I'm thinking of the question does not have clear answer to controversial topics. So some things we can be more confident about or, or it, it speaks more clearly about and other things it leaves room for wisdom and for us to um, apply those principles to the different settings that we're in. I don't know, is that, William, you might want to come back and clarify my waffle, but that's sort of what I, <laughs> I was trying to uh, talk about degrees yeah. of certainty, I guess, about yeah. some topics. I think it matters how certain we are on something. If the Bible's not that certain on it, how we how we share it actually matters, right? And I think sometimes, you know, sadly, we see people um, give a very strong opinion about an issue that the Bible may only have one or two verses about, you know? And so how we communicate matters. Yeah. I think as Christians, let's be people who major on the major things that the Bible does, you know, who God is, who Jesus is, how he loves us and wants us to know him, right? Uh, through the gospel. Uh, let's be less dogmatic about, um, yeah, uh, which view of the end times is correct or, you know, which denomination is slam dunk the winner of the universe. Yeah, those, those are things that, you know, they're important, but they're not essential. So let's, mm -hmm. yeah, so we should talk accordingly with humility and, yeah, gentleness. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, Venus, can I just, I don't want to cut you off. But, <laughs> um, I wondered if we wanted to just I'd come back to that blue post-it note because that's, that's a good question. I don't know if I covered it or not earlier, but... Um, I think that, you know, that sounds like, you know, someone is finding the Bible objectionable and, and why is it, what is it? I'm just trying to read it now. The most potent force for atheism. I think that, you know, that that's a good question too. And I, it comes back to what we've said already. I just wanted to maybe tie some of those threads together with response to that blue one um, in that. Oh, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> um, it comes back to what we were saying before about interpreting the Bible as well. So it takes a little bit of, thought and um, careful reading of the Bible to understand what the authors are intending in their context and what they're saying. And, and the Bible is a, what um, people call a progressive unfolding of God's purposes as well. And so some people can pluck something out of the middle of somewhere in the middle of the Old Testament and make it sound um, weird, but it needs to be understood in its setting and in the context of the flow of the plan of God and uh, it it fits together as a part of a whole package, if you like. So I don't know, I guess what I'm trying to say is it can be a powerful tool if things are plucked out and, and emphasized out of context or out of whack with the rest of, um, of what the Bible is saying. I don't know if that, well, you might want to come back and fill that out. The way you summed it up for us once uh, in class was, you know, um, that the answer is often always Jesus and context, right? So when, the, especially when there's a hairy question. So I don't know. So I've tried to live by that as well when people ask me tricky questions. But yeah, um, definitely when you don't read the Bible the way it asks you to read it, it can be a very powerful tool against it. Just like, you know, if you get a saw and you use it the wrong way around, it can hurt rather than heal. Yeah, so. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. There were some great answers there. And I hope, yeah, people's questions are answered. Um, again, you know, feel free to keep asking questions in your group and we can answer them, you know, later or next week, Ethan.